Uh, All right, let's go to God's Word. Uh, We're in John 13. Uh, We continue our study. Uh, We started in uh, John chapter 1, verse 1, and uh, we're finally to uh, chapter 13, and we pick it up uh, in verse 12. This is um, a scene that uh, a lot of you are familiar with. This is where Jesus has uh, washed his disciples' feet. We looked at that last time. Uh, The narrative continues uh, in verse 12 of chapter 13. So here it is. This is God's word. When Jesus had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. And let's pray one more time. Father, may the truth be spoken and received here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I'm interested to know how many people um, remember or know uh, the name Mickey Hill. Who, know, who remembers Mickey Hill? Okay, uh, that number gets smaller uh, year after year after year. But if you don't know who Mickey Hill was, uh, he was one of our elders here at this church a number of years ago, and uh, he was the first elder uh, who died. Um, in our church's history. And if you don't know much about Mickey Hill, he was this uh, kind of big, bald-headed, robust, testosterone-filled uh, dude. And he was kind of cut out of that uh, John Wayne kind of cloth. I mean, he was kind of like, uh, a, he was, for me, he was a guy in your life that you look to and you're like, you know, you know what? That's what a man looks like, and I want to be a dude. You know, I mean, I think that's kind of a missing component in our little wussy little uh, last couple of generations. But he was a he was a great, tough, godly uh, man, and and I, I'll tell you, he was no theological giant uh, at all. He would never say that he was, but he was a dude uh, and a servant and uh, an elder here at the church. Well, he also owned an airline, <laughs> so he owned a little airline called Richards Aviation, and I think he had a couple, two or three King Airs and uh, a, a jet. And, um, and uh, so he, he was uh, affluent and uh, owned a little airline, and um, it was not, I, I don't know how many times he did this, but, but uh, let's say a single mother needed a car, and uh, things were really tough for her, um, and all of a sudden, a car would show up in her driveway, and it's because Mickey Hill gave her one. Um, and he did that kind of stuff to a lot of people. There were so many behind-the-scenes things that he would do um, philanthropically uh, for people. Uh, he was able to do that. Uh, he, he had the means to do that, and he would do, th- he would do that a lot. Um, but the thing that most people never saw about him or, or maybe even didn't know about him was this. When I think of Mickey, the, the, the most vivid memories... Uh, well, I'm straying from my notes a little bit, but I have one memory where <laughs> there, I was not the worship leader here. 
okay, so, and, the, and this was the sanctuary, and there was worship going on in here. I can't remember what it was for, but Mickey and I were out by the drinking fountain, and he was dancing to the worship music out there. And, uh, and I walked up, and I saw Mickey, and so I was dancing too. And, the, and so you got Mickey and me out there by the drinking fountain dancing to the worship music. So that's one memory I've got, which is kind of humorous. But the other, other memory I have is this. I would go teach on these junior high trips to Fall Creek Falls, uh, you know, Anybody ever been to Fall Creek Falls? Everybody seen the facility? I mean, it's a D minus. It's a nasty old facility. It's disgusting. Um, and uh, Mickey would work the kitchen, and he his job three times a day times five days was to scrape the plates of the nasty little junior high children and all the gross stuff they left on their plates, and uh, to wash the dishes. So they would, they would put the trays in the pass. He would scrape. That's the lowest job, y'all, scraping the food of the junior high kids off the plates and washing the dishes and leaving that whole area spotless. And I watched him do that over and over and over multiple years. Um, and I, I just I, I find that to be such a vivid memory and so refreshing that here's this guy who's able to help in a in a in a meaningful way, monetarily, lots of people he helped quietly. But uh, the snapshot I have in my head is him scraping plates and not making a fanfare about it, but just rejoicing and enjoying uh, serving in that way. No service was beneath him because his service was to Christ. So if you want to know what our big idea is today, it is this. No service is beneath you because your service is the Christ. You know, in Colossians 3.23, we're instructed uh, to work uh, as for the Lord, not men. So in whatever task you're in, uh, you're not just working for uh, human beings or human means or human outcomes. It is as though, because you truly are, working for the Lord Christ. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. And so no service is beneath you because your service is to Christ. All right. So let's look at our first point, which is this, that which Jesus has done to you. Uh, you may recall last time that um, Jesus surprised the disciples. Um, they're in the upper room. This is uh, the upper room discourse where he's spending the last night of his life um, dedicating it to uh, the edification of the disciples. And he surprises them by removing his outer garments, probably bare-chested and bare-legged. He wraps a towel around himself. And uh, he proceeds to stoop down and wash each of the disciples' feet, all 12 disciples' feet. Uh, in that culture, uh, they sat on the floor to eat. And so there would be a, a low table, and they would sit on the floor, and they would uh, recline and kind of lean on one elbow and eat with the other and kind of lean on each other's shoulders and so on. And so feet were prominent. I mean, feet were nearby, and they would kind of hold them away. But I mean, you were on the floor, and feet are nearby. And so it was customary for a host, if you ever had anybody over, to um, have someone, a servant there, to do the foot washing. It was uh, an important, normal part of their culture. Now, um, you know, whenever I need something heavy moved around the church, um, you know, something needs to be moved or, you know, that piano or something or the pulpit or something like that, um, I always tell my guys, um, this is a direct quote, I'll say, I'll say, hey, 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 don't, Go find a younger, dumber mammal. Um, you know, you can always find like a, a junior in high school standing around going, 
Hey, do you want to serve Jesus? Yeah. Go move that heavy thing. Okay. You know, you can always find a younger, dumber mammal um, to go do the heavy lifting um, so that you don't hurt yourself. And uh, so I'm saying all that to say this. Servants were a normal part of that situation, and it was no, it was no bad thing to be a servant. In fact, it was pr- uh, people were glad to have the, the gig, all right? So there was a servant. Hosts would have a servant, and they were, they were pleased to wash people's feet and so on. They were, they were often very happy to have uh, that gig, all right? But this was a borrowed room, and uh, there was no official host. Uh, there was no servant to wash the feet. So imagine the disciples' surprise when Jesus himself um, condescends and stoops down and begins to wash their feet. Now, as readers of the Scriptures, it's perhaps even more startling to us. I mean, it would have been startling to the disciples for sure. But when we, you know, as the, with the reader's advantage here, what we, we have chapter 13 here, and we're told these things that Jesus knew that it was the last night of his life. He knew that death by crucifixion um, was awaiting him. He knew that he was about to be betrayed and exactly who was going to be doing it. In fact, we're told two other times previously in John's gospel that Jesus knew who was going to betray him. It wasn't like, oh no, Judas, I can't believe what you're doing. He knew. He knew these things. He also knew that he was the Lord of glory. He knew that he was going to be united back in fellowship with the Father. He knew this. He knew that the Father had given all things into his hands. And so I say all those things because as the reader, we see those, and then we see him washing the disciples' feet. We must not reduce that event to some quaint little uh, deed. Okay, it's not just a sweet little thing that he did, and we go, oh, isn't it sweet that he washed their feet, and it's an unusual uh, and all that. It is, it is um, a giant um, humiliation. It's a giant condescending. It's a, it's a, uh, I, I fear what we want to do is take the razor's edge off of this Jesus and reduce it to just some sweet little act. But if we are really hearing him and really buying into uh, it and applying what uh, our Christian lives are supposed to be uh, experiencing, this scene, as we study it, is a giant intrusion into our lives. It's not just, oh, that's curious, well, isn't that sweet? It's an intrusion into our lives if we walk away understanding what's happening here. Look at verse 12. It says, when he had washed their feet, and put on his outer garments, and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? Now, it's interesting. If you look that up in multiple Bible translations, which I have, uh, I think 24 of them I've read, um, they will say, most translations will uh, uh, say, say this, do you understand what I have done to you? Some will say, do you understand what I have done for you? Um, a couple more will say, uh, do you understand what I've done? Okay? So some Bible translations put it that way. Do you understand what I've done for you? Or do you understand what I've done? That really does not catch the gist of the meaning here. What I've read to you in the ESV and what most Bible translations say is this. Do you understand what I have done to you? 
That's very important. Um, th- that 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 word um, that, that that's translated here to you shows up dozens and dozens and dozens of times in the New Testament, and almost every time when that word is used, hymen, and when that word is used, um, it has to do with something being said. Like when Jesus says, verily, verily, I say unto you. Truly, truly, I say to you. Okay, that's how it's translated. It doesn't say, truly, truly, I say for you. That's not how we would talk. If I'm speaking to you, I don't say I'm speaking for you. That has a different meaning in English, that I'm speaking for you, I'm speaking in place of you. But if I'm speaking to you, I would never say, oh, there's Corby Banana. I'm speaking for you, Corby. I'm speaking to you. That's very important. So it's translated here rightly. Um, do you understand what I have done to you? That is loaded with impact <coughs> and is more than just some isolated occurrence or some um, kitschy little religious scene. It would be, be great if all we had to do was go, oh, you know what? It's Maundy Thursday. And we're going to do the little foot washing thing and uh, then walk away and feel like we have satisfied our understanding of this passage. And that was really sweet. And what a lovely little, little ceremony that was. Um, you, you know, you, you can just simply hold your nose, get the job done, and you can walk away feeling pretty good about it and then get on with your life uh, as you want to live it. That is not how we're supposed to read this passage at all. Application for your life. Um, Jesus will expound upon this in our next point, but he, he employs a, a little word that changes everything about your existence. It is this word in verse 15. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. By doing something to his disciples, he makes them go, do. And the same thing goes for you, uh, disciple. Uh, Christ has done a thing to you. Now you must go do. Uh, Let's be clear about uh, the order of things here. You are not instructed to do things so that God loves you more. That is not what this is saying. When, When we're told to go do, it's not that you know, the love factor of God will go up as you do, and uh, your acceptance before God will go up as you do. Don't think of it that way. Get the order of things right. It is, this is Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, it is by grace you have been saved. You go, okay, grace, Mm, all right, that that means uh, I didn't deserve it, and it's a free gift, huh? I didn't deserve it. It's by grace you have been saved, okay, Uh, in case there's any confusion, through faith. Uh, And this not of yourselves. It's a gift. Notice that it's kind of a rat-tat-tat. It's grace. It's by faith, and this is not of yourselves. It's a gift. Um, In case there's any question marks, not by works. In case there's any question marks, so that nobody can boast. It says over and over and over and over in Ephesians 2, 8, 9. You can't earn it. You can't earn it. You can't earn it. You can't earn it. It's been done to you. It's been done to you. It's been done to you. So just remember, there's always a first order. You know, we love because we've first been loved. We love others with the love of Jesus Christ because we've first been loved. 
Okay? It's not that we do, 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 and then God gives us the award of his favor. It is that God has given us his favor, and then the Holy Spirit has empowered us to go and do. So that's the order of things. Jesus does a thing, and then he says, go do. Now, the question is this. What's, what's the thing that we're supposed to go do? What is the thing? The thing is Christ's continued ministry through us. That's the thing. He's still got an earthly ministry. He's not on the earth anymore. Rather, he has sent the Spirit, he and the Father, and now we are his emissaries. We are doing the work of Jesus Christ on this earth. So that's the, that's the, that the thing. The thing that we're supposed to do is carry on the ministry of Jesus Christ. Question number two is, what is that? What does that look like? Um, look at verse um, uh, Look at verse 1. Uh, it says, uh, before the feast of the Passover, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world. His hour had come. You notice that Jesus is aware of time. He is aware that it is his hour. He is aware that he is in the shadow of the cross. And so in chapters 13, 14, 15, 16, 17 of the Gospel of John, it's all dedicated to Jesus and his disciples. It's all the stuff that Jesus is saying to his disciples in preparation for them. He knows the cross is coming, so he takes loving action, not just in foot washing, but in preparing the disciples throughout the entire discourse. In other words, he has an urgency to his actions. He knows what's coming. He knows what time it is. And so he takes action. There is an urgency to his movements. And that's what we're supposed to have, ladies and gentlemen. We're supposed to have a gospel urgency. Um, I think I've told you this before, but when I first got hired here, you know, I, I'm, I'm, not your typical, um, I'm not your typical pastor guy. Like when, when somebody says, oh, imagine a pastor. I don't pop into your head, you know, like somebody genteel with a better haircut and nicer clothes and a, a, a taller, uh, a sweet demeanor. Uh, that, that usually pops up, a pastor, a, a nice guy, you know. I'm like a little, like this gnome guy that's jumped out of the woods, you know. Um, <laughs> but but um, what, what was my point? Oh, yeah, so... <laughs> But enough about therapy. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, really. But I remember when I first got hired here, um, I had to run an, an errand to another local church, a big church, a big local church. I had to run something over from our business office uh, to their business office. And so I go into this other big local church, with the name of which you would recognize, and I'm roaming around their front office, and I... I passed some pastor's offices, and I'm looking for the person to give this to, and um, I see three pastors, and the one guy's leaning back with his feet up, and he's got his arms behind his head, and there are two other guys standing there talking, and they're talking and chatting, and I'm waiting for the business person to come out, and they're just going, ha, 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 oh, yes, <laughs> well, you know, I was 34 when I went into the ministry. All right, so I didn't go to college, seminary, and then pop out into the ministry. It was, you know, a big span in the 
workplace, you know, so I just didn't have like a, a job for six months. I had a, I had a, a dozen years of, of work under my belt. And I remember going into the ministry feeling an urgency for the gospel. And I go to this other big local church and they're just kind of, ha, 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 ha. Now, I'm not saying that I have not put my feet up and had my arms behind my, uh, and, and had a, a conversation with other pastors. I'm not saying that hasn't happened. Um, but I am saying, I just remember that snapshot in my head and I was just like, I want to be urgent for the gospel. Uh, I'm, I'm often a failure at it, but I'm just, I want to have an urgency for the gospel. And that's what we're, we're seeing here in Jesus. He's got an urgency for the gospel. And so for, um, for uh, your application, friends, there ought to be a pep in our step about this gospel. We ought to be looking at this life. Yes, you should enjoy your life. You should raise your children. You should have, a, have a, 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 an enjoyable existence, enjoying what God has made. Yes, but underlying all that, we're supposed to have a gospel urgency. You know, at the end of Matthew's gospel, when Jesus um, tells his disciples to go, you know, the Great Commission, he tells them to go. He tells them to go and what? Huh? Go and what? Make disciples. He tells them to go and to make disciples. It's not just go and be friendly. Be a friendly person. It is go and make disciples. It's more than just evangelism. In fact, um, uh, it's evangelizing and then digging in and sticking by that evangelized person for a lifetime because they're disciples and they're to grow up in the Lord Jesus Christ. We're to go and make disciples, and that has particular uh, bearing on the church. I know that the church takes a lot of hits. Um, it's almost in vogue uh, to speak of the church uh, in diminished terms. You know, you hear people say, I mean, non-Christians use it all the time, uh, but Christians use it too. And every time I hear a Christian say it, I want to bang them on the head like Mo. Um, I don't uh, like organized religion. It's like, you know, I hear you, but, you know, you get an F just for, being, for not being creative. <laughs> you know, I mean, think of something that's not a cliche, please. I don't like organized religion. Or Christians will say, I got really burned by the church, and so uh, I just, uh, I'd rather just kind of stay away from the church. Well, you know what? If the church is not the hub of your life, you're doing it wrong. How dare you? I dare. I dare. Because it, this is what the Bible teaches. If the church is not the hub of your life, you're doing it wrong. If you slide in during the third song and you sneak out during the closing prayer and you only come here and there and, uh, you know, events are happening at your church that, um, that the staff has planned and that the elders put forth and that builds the body of Jesus Christ and uh, they're over with and three weeks later you say, what did that happen? What was going on? Oh, do we just have a thing at the church? If you're just oblivious, you are doing it wrong. You're doing it wrong. That is scriptural, ladies and gentlemen. Um, this is um, from uh, um, Galatians 10. Listen to this. Um, 
Let us uh, not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Listen. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. This is what the Bible teaches. We're to do good to everyone, and especially to those who are in the household of faith. There's, a, there's an order, ladies and gentlemen. You know who's got the top order? The church. Top order. You know why? Because the church is not an organization. It's not a club. It's community. It's a family. The church are those who have been evangelized, and now here they are, gathered, collected, growing up in the likeness of Jesus Christ as disciples. The church has pole position. The church is not the hub of your life, ladies and gentlemen. You're doing it wrong, and you're not following the example of the Savior. Um, You know, uh, our Baptist brethren um, get picked on. Um, they'll say things like, uh, somebody will tell you about their testimony, and they'll say, oh, yeah, when I was growing up, uh, I, was, uh, I was at the church every time the doors were open. <laughs> As if that's a stupid thing. Not a stupid thing. Oh, it's stupid if you're resting your, your eternal security uh, and righteousness on that. But it's a healthy thing. When the doors are thrown open, if you can come, I think you probably should. All right, second point. Teacher, Lord, servant. Uh, look at verse 14. Um, well, look at verse 13. You call me teacher and Lord, <coughs> and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. Now, we would love to say... Um, We'd love to just stop there. You also ought to wash. We'd love to stop there uh, and fill in the name Jesus, wouldn't we? Um, we'd love to say, oh, uh, if I, I, I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash my feet. That's what we'd love to say. You ought to wash, wash my feet. I wash your feet. Uh, really, you should wash the Lord's feet. <laughs> uh, that would be great. If, if this were a man-made gospel, that's how we'd write it. Uh, if it were a man-serving, human-serving, um, made-up thing, that's what we'd put in there. Uh, Jesus, uh, uh, he washed their feet, and we ought to serve him and wash Jesus' feet in our hearts. That's what we'd like to stick in there. That's not what he says. I have washed your feet. You also ought to wash one another's feet. And that's the embarrassment of the disciples. I mean, it's one thing, Jesus washing their feet, they're they're probably thinking, well, I ought to wash your feet, Jesus. I ought to wash your feet. But these other idiots, I don't want to wash their gross feet. I'll wash the feet of the king. I mean, it's it's fun to have a celebrity friend. But these other guys, blech, that's what Jesus is saying. Uh, His mission is our mission. His mission is to seek and serve the lost, uh, both those who need rescue and uh, and those who are uh, rescued. So notice all the, also the way um, the Lord Jesus uh, phrases it. He, sa- he says this, I have, um, 
verse 15, given you an example that you also should do as I have done to you. Um, I, I think that's another reason why we shouldn't, um, I think it's unwise personally, I told you this last time, I think it's unwise when churches, um, you know, it's Maundy Thursday and they have communion and so you've got broken body, shed blood, and there's a foot washing. And, uh, and I understand that's what Jesus did on the last night of his life. And uh, if you're going to do such a thing, Maundy Thursday would be a good thing. But, you know, when you have communion and um, Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me, broken body, shed blood, it is a picture of the gospel. You throw in the foot washing thing. And it's in, it turns into this little kind of charming, weird thing that he does. To confuse that with the sacraments, I think is, is, I just personally think it's a dangerous thing. I think it's unwise. I think it confuses the lambs. Notice also that it, it, it um, I, I think it distorts the meaning. In verse 15, for I have given you an example that you also should do as I have done to you. He uses the word do, do this. But notice that he doesn't say, I've given you an example that you also should do what I have done to you. He says that you should do as I have done to you. Now, that might seem like a minor thing, but I don't think it is a minor thing. I think there's a big difference between those two things. One lets you off the hook with a little deed here and there. And the other one puts you squarely as caretaker of every human being you ever run into or ever will run into. Uh, every single person you come in contact with, think about that. Every encounter, every situation, every opportunity, every blessing, you have a responsibility to the, the world around you. Every single person you ever meet. And you know, it's interesting. When God calls Abram in Genesis 12, Here's what he says to him. Now, the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house, leave them, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make your, uh, uh, you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, listen, so that you will be a blessing. That's from the very beginning of God. Uh, calling Abram, the, the kernel of the gospel, the kernel of the gospel in Genesis 3.15, but from the, from the outset, by the way, Abram, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. That's called justification by faith alone. From the outset of that gospel of grace, okay, Jesus says, I'm going to bless you so that you'll be a blessing. He says, I will bless those who bless you. Uh, I will curse those who curse you. And listen, and in you... All of the families of the earth shall be blessed. All right? So we, along with Abraham, are blessed so that we will be a conduit of blessing. Um, we bless others because God has blessed us. Application for your life. Uh, one commentator I was reading called it, called our, our life as Christians, uh, one anothering. That our lives are to be lives of one anothering. Uh, somebody else said um, uh, that there ought to be a sentness to our lives. S E N T, a sentness to our lives. 
In other words, we live our lives, we enjoy this life, um, you know, ministering, raising a family is ministering. Uh, trying to pay your bills and, and shoulder a workload and, uh, you know, uh, fix the noisy toilet in your house. I mean, those things are all a normal part of living and, uh, and right and good. But there, there should be a sentness about everything that, that we're doing, that we ought to be one anothering. Um, verse 14, if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. Um, let me just tell you a little something about our, our elders here at this church. Um, I have truly the most unique perspective out of every single person in this church because on Communion Sunday, um, I get up there and I close the service. You know, I lit as well with my soul. And so I've taken communion and the elders come forward and they, they bring whatever's left over and they put it on the table and I walk forward with them. I get up there and I grab the microphone and I plop down and the Dr. Young is on one throne, and then the other guy's on the other throne, and then they serve the elders. And so I'm sitting up here, and no one else has this perspective. It's, it's totally unique. It's a, it's a giant blessing in my life. I'm sitting up here, and it's elders and elders. And I, 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 I look at the elders, and, you know, some are on the session, some are off the session, but they're all ordained elders. And uh, a lot of times I'll catch their eye as they, as they look at me. Uh, they'll kind of look up and we'll wink at each other, and sometimes they don't. But I, I always, I, 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 I pan the elders, and I just look at them one by one, and I just think, what a, what a blessing. What a fine bunch of fine men. And um, I can tell you that I've never seen a church ever, anywhere, that has greater elder involvement than this church. I mean, it's not um, just a position of honor and leadership and, and making business decisions. Um, it's not. It's not deaconish. It's elderish, and uh, our elders are immersed in ministry, and I know that extremely well because I meet with three of them every Tuesday morning, and I have for almost twenty years. I mean, they're deeply involved in ministry and life, um, and it's a, it's a giant. Uh, blessing. It's far from some ceremonial appointment. These are the ones to whom God has entrusted his care for the lambs. And what I'm saying all that to, to, to you is, for is this, and it would, it, we get, we're almost done. Um, we're to love the lambs. Uh, when I look at these elders, you know what else I'm thinking? Church, it's impossible. It's just impossible. Because um, all of a sudden you come into the kingdom and you have to worry about and you're kind of in the diaper changing business and somebody's always a moaning and somebody's always a hurting and somebody's always a goofing up and you got to intercede a lot and you know if it's just if it's the world like that out there it's like look shut up and put up in here all of a sudden it's like family when your child is is uh hurting or making a poor decision, you're burdened for that. And it's the same thing. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. And like elders, with deep elder involvement, um, we're to be um, uh, immersed in church life. All right, our last point is this, and this will be our shortest one, uh, love and happiness. You know, it's interesting in verse 17, uh, and this is the last verse in our passage here. It says, if you know these things... Blessed are you if you do them. 
You know, that word blessed, um, if you look in an older uh, translation, uh, very few translations will use the word happy. Um, almost all of them say blessed. And uh, I understand the word happy kind of has a bad um, connotation to it. You know, we, we, we don't want to confuse um, emotions with reality, you know. We don't want to go, well, happy, uh, happy seems like a feeling and blessed is a, blessed is a situation, living as a blessed person. Well, you know, ha- happy is an older um, way of saying that. Um, in Psalm 1, verse 1, the first verse of the Psalms, it says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, or stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Blessed is the blessed is the man. But some older translations will say this unabashedly. They'll use the word happy instead of blessed. Um, uh, some say, uh, yeah, a literal translation is this Young's literal translation. Oh, the happiness of that one who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. Oh, the happiness of that one. Um, another one says, oh, the joys. Um, blessed is the one who does what the Savior says here. Oh, the joys. Oh, what a pain it is sometimes. But oh, the joys of carrying out the work and will and instruction of the Savior. I close with this. Uh, Fender Guitars has um, come out with uh, a new guitar. And uh, it's shaped like a Telecaster. It's a semi-hollow body, but it's got some electronics in it. And uh, it's, it's this word that is a hot word right now, emulation, all right? So you plug that sucker in, and uh, you strum it, and it emulates. And uh, there are certain, you, you, you flip this switch, and you turn the knob, and you flip this switch, and you turn the knob, and it emulates different things. And it's interesting when you watch a really... Um, well-done, well-miked review online, and you put in professional uh, $1,000 earbuds, um, and you listen to it, they'll say, okay, and, and, I, and I could close my eyes, and I can hear all these things. I can hear them. They'll say, all right, this is a Sitka spruce top with mahogany back and sides, all right? So Sitka spruce, mahogany sides, and a mahogany back, and they play it, and you go, hot dog. That's a Sitka spruce top and mahogany back and sides. And I I have goosebumps talking to you about it because I can hear it. And they'll say, okay, uh, we flip the switch and it's um, spruce top and Indian rosewood back and sides. And they play it and you go, that sure is. And they'll flip the switch again and they'll say, this is a Sitka spruce top and Brazilian rosewood. And you go, come on. You can hear the difference between Indian rosewood and Brazilian rosewood. Yeah, I can. But, but the point is this. It's emulation. The emulation has to be accurate. It's got to be true to the original sound. And when it's emulated, you recognize it. What I'm saying to you here, ladies and gentlemen, is this. Um, does Jesus, is he teacher and Lord? Yeah, it says it here twice. He's Lord and teacher. You're right to call him teacher and Lord. Um, if he is those things, I leave you with, simply with instruction. Um, 
He's given you an example. We're to emulate that example. What is that? You should do as He has done to you. Let's pray. Lord, Jesus, you are Lord and teacher. Um, Even so, you are servant. You came not to be served, but to serve. And uh, as king, we are your subjects, and we pray for the grace to do um, as you have done, not simply a what, one little event that we reenact. No, no. We want to do as you have done, which is to be caretaker with urgency of the souls around us that you have placed in our path. Might we emulate you and do it well for your glory and only in the power of the Holy Ghost, for we pray it in your name. Amen. Thanks, everybody.